Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. Just a little idea of what we did in Guatemala a couple of weeks ago. You be in prayer for what God's going to continue to do in our missions effort here at Rosemont. Let me pray before we begin. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to worship, Lord, another opportunity to, to sing praises to you, Lord, another opportunity to open the text of the Word of God. I pray you'd speak to us, Father. I pray you'd keep us free from distractions to be able to focus on who you are. And I pray, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through what we learn today, Lord, to be transformed more into your image. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. You know, one of the really neat things I have the opportunity of doing as a pastor is hearing from people and hearing how God is at work and hearing some of the things that God is doing in the hearts and the minds of our people. And I had an opportunity this week to hear one of those incredible stories. I'd had a conversation with a, a young lady several weeks ago and we had sat in my office and talked about salvation. And uh, as I had asked her some specific questions, she originally had told me, I, I think I'm a believer, but as we delved a little more deeply into what salvation meant, she wasn't quite as sure. And I said, you know, I, I want you to leave here and kind of solidify this in your heart. This is important for you to know. It's an important decision for you to make. So I gave her some verses and I said, go home and pray through these and think through these and contemplate them. They were in Romans and I didn't hear anything from her for several weeks. I got an email last week and she said, I'd like to sit down and kind of tell you my story. And so we sat down this last week and she said, you know, I went home with those verses and I began to read those verses and think through those verses and pray through those verses. And she said, it was almost as if there was this This power speaking to me. It was very interesting how she phrased it and how she explained it. And she said, I I would just wake up and think about the verses. And I just kept kind of thinking through them in my mind. And she said, I went to Troop High School Easter Sunday morning to the Easter service. And she she said, it just just felt like the the Holy Spirit was speaking to me. And in a very profound way, expressing to me the importance of the verses that I read. And she said, it was right there at that moment Easter Sunday morning that I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And that's an, it's an incredible story. And I didn't give you a lot of the details. It's an amazing story. It's a testament to who Christ is and it's a testament to the power of the Holy Spirit. But I tell you that story this morning for one simple reason. You see, this young lady grew up in church. And at the beginning of our conversation, she confessed Christ. But as she began to pray through and and recognize and study more, she she began to realize that that's really a decision she had never actually made, even though she grew up in church all of her life. And so I, I come to this moment this morning in this service, and I ask you the question. I wonder how many people in churches across America have her same story. They grew up in church, maybe they say the right things, but they've never professed Jesus truly as their Savior and Lord. So I want you to consider the question this morning, the question we've been asking for the last several weeks. Do you have authentic faith? I'm going to invite you this morning to open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. This is the third week, excuse me, the sixth week of our Authentic Faith Sermon Series. And we've been delving into the book of 1 John. I told you at the beginning, and I'll reiterate again this morning, one of my greatest fears as a pastor is that there are people who live their lives in church never truly accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so we spent a lot of time the last several weeks 
delving into exactly who Christ is and exactly what Christ desires us to do. And we've learned that if we are truly walking with the Lord, then we, could be, we should be conformed more and more into the image of Christ. And so we examined ourselves against the truth of Scripture. We've examined our walk. We've examined our lives. We've examined our faith. And if we've, we've examined ourselves against the truth of Scripture, we've had to answer one simple question. Are we playing a game with God or do we have authentic faith? And so we'll continue our study through 1 John this morning in chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. I think we have the passage of Scripture on the screen for you. 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, John says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. What an incredible statement, by the way, to begin this morning. That we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But what we know, excuse me, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. All who have this hope in Him purify themselves just as He is pure. Now I want to begin this morning where John begins in chapter 3 by talking about, first of all, the incredible love of the Father. Now we could spend an entire sermon series talking about the love of the Father. We could talk about His grace, we could talk about His mercy, we could talk about the blessings He's bestowed upon us. Every time I watch a video from Guatemala or every time I see a picture from where we've been or every time I talk to somebody that's been overseas and seen poverty, I'm reminded of the incredible blessings the Lord has given to us. I'm reminded and and, and, and frankly haunted by the question of why did God choose to put me here instead of there? Why was I born here instead of in a remote village in Guatemala? Why was I born in America and not born in China? See, we could go on and on about the grace of God. We could go on and on about His love. We could go on and on about His mercy and contemplate and wonder. But I think at the heart of what John's trying to help us understand this morning, at the heart of what John gets at all through the Gospel of John and through his letters of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, is that the ultimate love of the Father comes through the Son. And because of what Christ has done for us, we can experience the love of God. So we're familiar with verses like John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he, what, you remember? Gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him should have eternal life. Romans 5, 8 says this. God demonstrates his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here's the beautiful thing about God's love. It's not static. It's active. It's not as if God wishes he could love us. It's not as if God talks about loving us. It's not as if God desires to love us, although all those things are true. God, in fact, actively loves us. And he demonstrates that love to us by giving his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. But it's interesting the way John writes it here, the way it's written in the original language. There's kind of this sense of astonishment as if John can't quite comprehend. John says, how great the love of The Father has lavished on us. It's it's kind of hard for us to fathom the love of God, isn't it? It's hard for us to understand why Christ would have stepped out of heaven into a sinful world and given his life for us. But then John takes this very interesting turn in what he says. It's not only that God loves us, it's not only that God gave his son for us, but it's interesting the phrase he uses, he loves us so much that he calls us his children. Can you imagine? The creator of the universe, right? 
The God of the heavens, the God of the earth, the God that gives and sustains life, loves us enough that He calls us His children. Now, this is not the first time we've seen that. In fact, if you've read through the Gospel of John, you'd remember in the prologue, in the first 18 verses, John 1 verse 12 says this, Yet to all who did receive Him, He's just explained in verse 10, 11, that there are people that rejected Christ. But verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Several months ago, we kind of highlighted a Sunday and we talked a lot about adoption. And we highlighted several families in our church that have adopted. And we talked about Curtis and Katie Wallace who just adopted a little girl from China. And we talked about the, the incredible beauty of adoption in our world and how a parent Or parents can kind of reach down and rescue this child when that child couldn't rescue themselves. And it's just a a picture of love and mercy and grace, but it's also a picture of who Christ is for us. See, God in His infinite wisdom chose to reach down into the sinfulness of the world and rescue us and save us and adopt us and call us His children. Matthew chapter 7 Verses 9, 10, and 11 say this, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you, he's speaking to us, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? See, the Bible is clear that God loves us so much That God cares so much about us that he sent his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross and calls us, once we accept him as Lord and Savior, the children of God. But here's the problem so many people arrive at when they accept Jesus Christ. They accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They have that moment of salvation when they repent of their sins and they turn to Jesus Christ. And for so many believers, they feel like that salvation represents for them the end of their journey. So they say something like this, you know, I've really blown it in my life, I've made a lot of mistakes, but Jesus Christ has saved me, I've accepted Jesus, my eternity is secure, I've got fire insurance, once I die I'm going to heaven, right, as if that's the end. I don't have anything else to do now. But the Bible is so clear throughout that if you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that instead of being the end, that salvation is really just the beginning for you. Now, the fancy word that scholars use is sanctification. That's a big, long word. All that really means is that our life in Christ should be growing. We should be coming more and more like Him. We should be more and more conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And we should live a life that brings Him honor and that brings Him glory. And John understands that. And so we see this glimmer of kind of what's to be in verse 2. He says, dear friends, we are now children of God. And listen to what he says. What will be, that's the future, has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. See, here's what John says. There will come a day when we will be glorified. When we will see Christ face to face and we will see him for who he truly is. And we don't yet know what that moment's going to look like. But because that moment is coming... He says, we should purify ourselves. Because that moment is coming, we should be holy. Because that moment is coming, we should prepare ourselves for who Christ is and for all that Christ has called us to be. John MacArthur says it like this. Speaking of that transformation, he says, that transformation will make the redeemed perfectly holy and righteous. 
with a pure capacity to worship and glorify God in a totally satisfying, joyful, undiminished fashion forever. See, because of the love of the Father, because of who Christ is, because we know that one day we will see Christ face to face, it should drive us to purify ourselves. It should drive us to holiness. You know, summer's a neat time for families because we get some time off from school or maybe you get some time off from work. You get a vacation, and a lot of us look forward to vacation in the summer, right? So we're looking maybe to June or July, and so you say, no, we've got some time at the end of July, and I'm going to take a week off work, we're going to take our family to the beach. Now, here's what you don't say between the time you decide to go to the beach and the actual trip to the beach. You don't say something like this. You know, we've got about 10 weeks until we go. I'm going to do everything I can in those next 10 weeks to put on about 40 pounds, I'm going to eat as much as I can. I'm going to go to buffets, right? If Shoney's was still open, I'd be hitting that thing hard, man. But I'm going to buffets. I'm going to eat breakfast. I'm going to put on about 40 pounds. And between now and the beach, I'm not going to get any sort of a tan. So I'm going to keep on a long sleeve shirt, a hat. I'm going to wear long pants. I don't want the sun to touch my body because when I hit that beach 40 pounds overweight, I want to be lily white. That's how I want to roll. That's what I want to look like when I get to the beach, right? I want people to have to put sunglasses on when they look at my chest, not the sun, right? That's how wide I want to be. And on top of that, I've got this bathing suit in the attic. It's circa 1980s, right? It's real, real short. I'm going to get that out and wear it, right? So, you know, I'm going to be big and fat in this little bitty bathing suit, right? Daisy Dukes, really lily white as I walk. That's what I want to look like when I walk on the beach, right? Nobody says that. That's not what we say. Instead, we do just the opposite. You know, if I can lose a couple of pounds here or there, right? If I can find a nice new bathing suit, get a little tan before I get there, right? That's kind of how we want to show up at the beach, prepared. Now, that's a ridiculous analogy. I get that. But the point is, the point is there's something ahead we're looking towards, and we want to prepare ourselves for it, don't we? John said it's kind of like that with Christ, One day we're going to be glorified. One day we're going to meet him. We should do everything we can between now and then to be more like Christ. To be holy. To purify ourselves for his sake. It's an interesting concept because of the love of the Father who sent his Son. He loves us so much that he died on the cross for our sins. That should lead us to holiness and to glorify and to purify ourselves. Now look at verse 4 as we move on through this idea. John is going to give us an interesting idea now in verse 4 about sin. Everyone who sins, John says, breaks the law. He's going to change thoughts here. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. And no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Now, very similar to chapter 2, John is going to warn us very clearly here about the danger of sin. John said that God loves us. We've seen the love of the Father. We can't even understand the love of the Father that he sent his son. We can't even understand that. But in the context of the love of the Father and the love of the Son and how he's demonstrated that love to us, we need to be aware of sin in the world. Now John uses an interesting phrase there in verse 4. He speaks of lawlessness. I looked up lawlessness and here's how we can define it. Uncontrolled by the law, a state of disorder, anarchy. Now here's the point, I think, of what John's making. It's not just that we break God's law, but sin, watch this now, sin demonstrates intent. Now there are times where we just drop the ball and we make mistakes. We get that. 
There are times when we make mistakes and we do something maybe we didn't consider, didn't realize, and we understand that. But oftentimes, our sin is our intent to please ourselves instead of pleasing God, isn't it? That's what sin is. Now, we may not like to think about it like that. That may not make us comfortable. But every moment of every day, we've got two very simple choices. We can choose to please God or we can choose to please ourselves. And depending on the circumstances, it can be a little more difficult to please God, can it? So when that guy cuts you off on the interstate, it's very difficult at that moment to please God, isn't it? It just feels so much better to please self. <laughs> when you get to work and the boss or a coworker says something to you that you don't like, it's so much easier at that moment to please self instead of pleasing God. You've had a long day at work and you get home and the children are out of control or maybe your spouse says something to you that kind of sits wrong with you. It's very easy at that moment to please yourself instead of pleasing God. But here's the point we need to understand about sin. Biblically, we need to understand that sin very clearly separates us from God. So we read passages like Isaiah 59 verse 2. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear Now, John's going to delve into this idea of sin on several different occasions in chapter 1 and in chapter 2. And now we're already seeing it again in chapter 3. And we say, why would John continue to talk about this? Why would John continue to talk about sin? Can't we talk about the grace of God or the love of God or the holiness of God? And and can't we just focus on on the good things? And of course John does that. And of course those things are important. But here's, I think, why John continues to hit this topic. Because he understands that our tendency as a human being is to either minimize sin and its effect... Or to completely be unaware of its danger. I think that's the danger we face. We either minimize it, it's not that big of a deal, or we're completely unaware of it. And so we kind of live our lives not really worried about the sin that we partake in. Not really worried about the sin that surrounds us. Not really understanding the danger of the sin in our lives. I found maybe the older I get, the more I enjoy listening to talk radio. I don't know if that's a sign of age or if there's just nothing else good on the radio. But I listen to a lot of talk radio. And I listen to a lot of sports talk radio. And so this week, because of the terrible events in Boston, it was during the Boston Marathon, a lot of the sports talk radio stations were talking about it in light of the Boston Marathon. And so I'm listening to one guy, and he's just talking about how terrible and tragic, and he's recounting the events, and he's kind of got the sports slant on it. And he's just talking about the people. And this was before they'd arrested the guys or knew who had done it at least. And so he's talking about what had taken place. And in the, kind of the middle of the monologue, he asks this incredibly profound question. He said this, what is wrong with the world? He said, how could people do this? What could lead somebody to this point to want to do this? And of course, there are all sorts of worldly answers, right? Terrorism, and we can think about that, or people making poor choices or how they were trained or so on and so forth. And all those things may be true and all those things may be important. But here's the core problem. What's wrong with the world is sin. You understand that? And we can sweep that under the rug if we want to. We can ignore that if we want to. But John's going to remind us very clearly there is great danger with sin. It's very interesting to me because as believers, sometimes we, we, we find it hard on, on, on some occasions to insert ourselves kind of into culture. We're not really sure how to answer questions. And we're not really sure how to respond to people when they begin to ask difficult things that maybe we haven't considered. But in contexts like this, I feel like we've got a framework and a context to help people understand what is wrong with the world. 
The problem with the world is there's sin. And no amount of money, no amount of legislation, no political party is going to change any of that. And when we try to fix the world with those solutions, we're going to continue to be confused as to why we can't seem to get it right. But John says there's real danger. But here's the beautiful part about what John says. Even in the midst of the sin of the world, even in the midst of our own personal sin, even though our sin separates us from God, listen to what he says in verse 5, but you know that he, speaking of Christ, appeared so that he might take away our sins. What an incredible picture. It's a reminder of the love of God. It's the reminder of His grace and His mercy in our lives. That even though we are immersed in a world, even though we ourselves deal with personal issues and personal sin, Christ came that He might take away our sins. And so we read verses like 1 Peter chapter 2, 24 says this, He Himself, speaking of Christ, bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, For what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day according to the Scripture. John says it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter where you've been, it doesn't matter what you're surrounded by now, it doesn't matter your current circumstances, there is hope in Christ. And even in the midst of sin, He reaches down from heaven with a hand of love, and mercy, and grace, and says to you, I died on the cross for your sins. But now John's going to kind of take this a step farther in verse 7. He's going to give us a very clear warning. Listen to what he says, 1 John chapter 3, verse 7. Dear children, John says, there's that phrase of love. We've seen it already in 1 John. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. If you're taking notes, you should underline that two or three times. Don't let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. And this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and their sister. John reminds us very clearly, because of the dangers of sin, John gives us a clear warning. The third thing we see this morning, don't be led astray. It's interesting that he uses that phrase because sin is very enticing to us, isn't it? And sin always looks good and sin always tries to trick us and yet we seem to allow the world to trick us into thinking it's okay to do these things i think we should be reminded of exactly what the bible says about the devil's schemes and about the works of the devil first peter 5 8 says this be of sober spirit and be on alert your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come to them and have life and have it to the full. But here's the tricky part about Satan and his schemes. Satan is one of God's most beautiful creations. Ezekiel 28.12 says this, Satan was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. 
See, we think about the devil sometimes, we think about an ugly monster, and we think about the beast in Revelation 12 and the picture of who Satan will one day be. But the point is, when Satan was created, he was beautiful, and he had incredible wisdom. And so what he does is he takes the ugliness of sin, the wretchedness of sin, the terrible circumstances he knows that we will find ourselves in, and he kind of cleans those up a little bit and makes them look nice. He says, it's okay if you delve into this a little bit. It'll be a lot of fun for you. It's okay if you partake in this. It's, it's going to be a nice season for you to enjoy. And he masks and he hides the ugly truth of the consequences we're one day going to face. Because, see, he puts in our minds a picture of what's not necessarily true. I had the opportunity last summer to go to Centricid. It's a camp that our children go to every year and it's in Anniston, Alabama. It's been there the last several years and I like to go over for a couple of days and just kind of be around the kids and enjoy the excitement. It's an incredible camp. About a thousand kids, I think third, fourth, fifth grade and they worship every night and they have all kind of cool activities. And one of the activities they have is they have this lake with all these inflatables in the lake. And so the kids put on these life jackets and they get to go out on the lake and they jump off. You've seen them kind of like Callaway Gardens, right? Well, I happened to be there at the time they went out on the lake, so I went out on the lake with the kids. Absolutely, man. I get my life jacket on, right? And I'm out there swimming, and there's this one inflatable tube, and it's probably 50 feet long, 30, 40, 50 feet. I don't know. It's probably about this big around, and it just goes right. It's a big trampoline, and then the tube comes out into the water. And, of course, it's soaking wet, and the point is you get a run and start on the trampoline, and you hit that tube, and you try to run out on the tube as far as you can, right? Well, you don't have any shoes on. It's wet, and you get 10 feet, and whoop, you just you know, fall in the water. So I'm observing this in all my brilliance, right? Floating in the life jacket, kind of watching people fall. And I figure it out. It occurs to me, oh, bless their hearts. <laughs> I know how to do this. <laughs> and so I get up on the trampoline, right? And in my mind, now again, I've got to figure it out in my brain. The problem is your feet are wet. You can't run. You can't. So instead of running, I'm going to dive head first, right? And when I hit this tube, I'm just going to slide all the way across. And I'll be able to use my feet and my arms to balance, right? So in my brain, I see this just incredibly athletic guy running right. Beautiful strides. He takes this incredible swan dive, lays out. Hits this thing, slides perfectly for 50 feet. There's people in the lake are going, look at him. That's what I see in my mind, right? That's the picture I have in my brain. Well, here's the problem. What I didn't recognize was that all those little clips on my vest don't slide real well. <laughs> on top of all this, I'm almost embarrassed to say it, I was wearing a little GoPro camera on my head. I just thought, we got to get this on video. This is going to be so amazing, right? And so on the camera, here's what you see. I take off running, right, bouncing, bouncing, lay out. And when I hit that tube, the buckle on my life jacket snagged. And from this point, nothing went forward. From this point, everything went forward, right? And so I hit, and my feet come up over my head. I felt like I had broken my back. If you watch the video, bounce, 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 dive, face plant, splash, blah, 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 blah. Oh! I saw that. You hear that on the video. And the lifeguard is literally standing there on the edge with his backboard. You know when people break their necks? The board he uses waiting to jump in for me. I mean, I hurt for two, my whole core was sore. Everything was sore. See, here's, 